Welcome to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed, Workforce, sponsored by EY. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Erica Ford, a principal for the People Advisory Services at EY. Erica, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. I was so glad to be here. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. Oftentimes, we hear the Biden administration officials talk about this being an inflection moment for technology, for the workforce, for government as a whole. While this term inflection point may be a nice buzzword talking point, it's clear agencies are taking advantage of the societal and cultural changes brought on by the pandemic and the expectations of the multi-generational workforce. The winds of change across government are blowing strong, whether it's the General Services Administration's new Workplace Innovation Lab, where agencies can test out new office space setups, or the Homeland Security Department's Cyber Talent Management Program to bring on specific and hard-to-find expertise we are seeing agencies transform their approaches to recruitment, retention, and of course, engagement. These and other efforts are helping to rebuild the confidence and swagger, if you will, of the federal workforce. For a deeper look into how agencies can successfully navigate this current and future work environments, we can turn to Erica Ford from EY. Erica, what are some of those big issues? I, I kind of glossed over them, but let's get into the deeper. What are some of those big issues impacting the government, the public sector workforce? One is recruiting. There is, uh, there's a lot of ambitious plans that the federal government has, um, and all of its stuff that is really focused on bringing real strong impacts to constituents, but the recruiting is tough. There's some areas uh, of focus like technology where there's big gaps there, particularly within cyber, but then also when you dig even more into seeing what jobs are open, they're a little of everything, things that are in HR, policy, those kinds of things also are on the table when it comes to recruiting. I spoke with several chief human capital officers over the last uh, six months or so, and it's interesting to see how, hear how many have said we've underfunded the HR staff. We've just mm -hmm. under-resourced them, not just from a technology perspective, which is clear, but also from a people perspective. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you said there's some big gaps. Our agency, there's so many big gaps, how do you how can an agency start to address where the gaps are that need most attention when they all need attention, if you will? First things first is make right now in terms of your mission, what's in, most important. That's really going to guide where you make those investments. So if there's something um, with regard to a particular technology or modernization, that's going to tell you that you need to focus on what are those technical skills we need to get in the door. Um, and then that makes it easier for recruiters who are working in that HR department to focus their time. Now, when their time is focused, they really need the overall organization to have their back because your HR folks are the people that are talking to the business every day. So if the organization is really prioritizing and having that prioritization roll down to what the HR department is focused on, you got to have their back, tell people what you're doing, and that's going to really help your HR specialists like, feel good, feel good day to day because it's a tough job. It is a very tough job, and the recruiting piece doesn't get easier doesn't. as we see changes in, in the environment. One of the big things that we've seen during the pandemic is this idea of, well, do I need people in the office and where do they work? And, and a lot of agencies, I was just talking the other day to another uh, CIO type, and they were saying, you know, we're hiring somebody who's fully remote. Mm -hmm. It's one of the first ones that we've had just put person fully remote. Is that maybe the biggest trend you're starting to see is this idea that people are more comfortable with Erica lives in California, but she works East Coast time. And what are some of those things you're seeing that agencies are talking about? At this moment in time, there's been a lot of actual push to bring people back to the office. 
Um, part of it is that uh, there's this urge, I think, by those leaders to return to normalcy. And so seeing people uh, is, is, uh, is something that helps them feel like that normal, normalcy is returning. But also to their credit, um, maybe you know at times of crisis, you guys figured it out, but now you're steady state. How are the ways of working? Have you really figured out what it means for the long-term sustainment when you have some people working off, uh, you know, off-site and some people working on-site? There's a whole host of um, issues as people come back. You know, we're different than we were two to three years ago, and that's you know I'm so grateful that you're talking about HR a lot because there are new complexities um, in terms of whole person care that HR specialists are actually facing, and I'm not sure are quite trained for um, some of the complexities that people are bringing back to the office um, with so much that's that's happened. Let's pull the string on that a little mm -hmm. bit and talk a little bit of those complexities. When you talk about things are different, we, we know the hybrid work environment. We know that it's going to be, you know, certain people are going to work from the office two days a week or three days a mm -hmm. week, but they'll have some remote work as well. And then there's this whole idea of a team could include people that, hey, you're in purpose, person mm -hmm. with me, but we also have three or four people in video. So you got to make sure there's some, if you will, digital equity going on. What what What, what is there some of those complexities that you're seeing today and how... Well, we'll have to answer the question, how are agencies <laughs> adjusting to the, or, or solving those complexities? Well, one piece is that there is tension in some organizations at what is a steadier state between the folks that still can work off-site um, and have more flexibility in their schedules, and then the folks that are part of the mission that have to uh, be out and about, whether you're an engineer and you have to touch and feel things, if you work for the Department of Homeland Security and you're a law enforcement officer, those jobs show up differently. So you don't want to create a, an environment where it feels like there's two classes of citizens uh, among your employee, among your organization. And so one of the things that we've seen people focus on more and think about is that employee experience. No employee um, within an organization should have a, an experience that is of less quality than a peer or an, another colleague. However, with both of their jobs, they may have to show up differently for the mission. That doesn't mean that the way that that person's experience is, is somehow less valued or less fun um, because they don't have the, the flexibility, if you will, of someone that gets to stay at home. The other piece in terms of the complexity that I was mentioning was really around um, uh, ways of working. There's been some, from some government folks that I've talked to, it's some of the social skills are, are different now. Um, and you can understand why a lot has happened to folks. Uh, and, uh, you know, and you not being around people and working like you have, it, there's some of the norms that you had before, they're just different now. So that's been some uh, stress, I think, in some of the environments. The other piece that goes back to some of the other challenges too, when we talk about mental health, um, when you think about that, you know, some folks have a lot of have anxiety when they're coming in. And so that's one of the reasons why I was really excited that you talked about the HR folks because the HR, that's where you go when you're facing those challenges. And so that, that, that's another layer of the complexity. I love the way you brought up this idea of you got to make sure things are, are equal, right? Mm -hmm. I talked, I mentioned digital equity as one example, mm -hmm. a, a camera that maybe follows you, yeah. uh, you know, the person who's talking. So mm -hmm. it's not always, oh, Erica's always in the bottom or left corner. <laughs> when Erica talks, she's now in the center. So, yeah. so, but there's also the other piece of that is, is that you brought up uh, and maybe we could talk a little bit about is how to create that 
same experience, whether you are working remotely at home mm -hmm. and then, or if you're on the road or you are a border patrol agent? For one, sometimes it's just space. So, um, so, um, so if I am someone who is a bus driver and that's part of my job working for the federal government, but I have been in the worst uh, building for the last 10 years, you know, with the broken coffee pot and there's never uh, any room in the conference room and there's a team meeting, making improvements like that, that improves the experience for that particular person. Um, in terms of the things that you can do to reward and help with people's, um, you know, this, their whole person care, you know, there should be a number of different levers that people can pull in your organization. And no one is going to pull all the same levers for themselves. There may be someone who needs child care support. Uh, they need pet insurance. And then they also need um, to be able to have flexibility in their schedule. Um, and they may be a bus driver. So, they, you know, if you got to figure out how to support that person. But then on the other hand, there may be someone that really um, wants to have the technology that they need and they don't want to work processes that are hard. And if they're coming into the office to collaborate with folks, they don't want it to be, to be just seen. They want it to be purposeful. So there should be just this, this ecosystem of levers that your employees can pull in order to create that experience um, for them. Pet insurance? Pet insurance is pet, becoming really? a huge, big thing. It really? is. It is. And as, as a pet owner, uh, <laughs> I love dogs. I have someone to talk to about that <laughs> in my company. Two dogs. Yes. You know. <laughs> uh, pet insurance, it's, 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 it's funny, but seriously, that is something that folks are talking about in terms of other things that they can put on the table for their employees. And, and for someone, for some folks doing that would be huge from an employee experience perspective. There's, we haven't go down the path too much, but it's, it's interesting that that has kind of mm -hmm. bubbled up as part of one of those things that, okay, how do we improve that, that employee experience? The space piece is fascinating to me because mm -hmm. I think we have been home and, and are used to what's at home, which mm -hmm. is a lot quieter, right? It's also the person next to me is not, you know, eating their tuna fish sandwich <laughs> and make smells up my, my area. And what I've seen is this move away from the open office to, mm -hmm. to this combo of individual space, but mm -hmm. also open office so we can collaborate when we need to, but hey, sometimes I just need to be away from you and I'm going to go into kind of a booth on my own and have some quiet time. Is that a conversation that's also starting to happen, the, the uh, different space needs? Absolutely. It happened uh, really just shortly after the pandemic first hit and how to re reconfigure space and that kind of thing. And to keep people apart too. Exactly. That's really absolutely. Important. But then to your point, now when folks are um, wanting to figure out from a policy perspective of bringing more people back in the office, they are looking at their space. Um, how can you create more collaboration space? One of the biggest gripes I hear often from my clients is that there is no conference room. You know, I can't book one. And so some, some organizations are building out their space so that there is a variety of space for your big team meetings, for the more peer-to-peer -peer conversations so you can work in small groups. Other organizations and another tool is sometimes they'll create um, neighborhoods. So like neighborhoods where the engineer sits. Um, where they may not have an assigned desk, but when they come in and they work there a couple days a week, if that's something for them, they go and they see members of their team because they're all sitting in the same area. Other folks are also um, really uh, making investments in their technology as they're working with people that are more often, um, you know, participating from a lot of different places. And so right on, I think we're going to start seeing that even more sharply now, now that there's this new wave of adjustments to what is, uh, what is, what is hybrid really look like now. 
Sounds like I'm promoting this, but the GSA Innovation Work Lab, the work lab that they just launched about a month ago, exactly the things you're talking about. Mm -hmm. When we got a tour, it was, oh, this desk can be moved so I can work together and mm -hmm. I can work separate. Or, oh, there's a two-person conference room. Looks like a phone booth for mm -hmm. people who are old enough to remember what phone booths actually were. Yeah. Yeah. Where you can just have a quiet space to, to get on a video call or just do some work. So Absolutely. The other piece of this, I think, and you brought this up and we'll delve deeper in the next segment, but real quick, just give us a little bit of a preview from the technology process side of it. I think there's beyond better VTC equipment and beyond better you know, ability to collaborate, are, are there some underlying technologies that you're starting to see people talk about or think about or, okay, how can we use this differently? What I'm actually really seeing is a broader approach to technology. I'm seeing clients talk more about ServiceNow implementations. Um, I'm hearing more um, ambitiousness around ERPs that have long been requested by their staff. And the reason why I flag that when we think about ways of working, um, you know, whether someone is working at home or working across the globe <laughs> in the field or working at a desk, part of the employee experience is to be able to get the data that you need to do your job and make decisions. And another part of it is not wasting time. You know, I've, I've uh, spent some time with users um, for some system, some federal systems and how they talk about how much they wait for things to be processed, it's, it's <clears throat> incredible. And that, and when I say that, that's not pointing fingers. People are busy and it takes a lot of investment. And what I'm seeing now is far more ambitiousness to take on those big projects for modernization and including that in the ecosystem of the teams, of the slacks, that kind of thing, which I think is pretty cool. We've learned and we continue to learn if you don't have access to the data, no matter how good you are at your job, how much, how great your technology is, you, it, there's a limit to what you can do. So mm -hmm. I think that's a great point. It's a great point to take a break and we'll come back and we'll delve into that area maybe a little bit more. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed Workforce, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. Government agencies face pressure to modernize programs and optimize operations. With EY, you can unleash the power of progress and move from strategy to execution. We are at the forefront of shaping how the government responds to complex challenges, providing technology-enabled solutions to help you transform at the federal, state, and local levels. Together, we are building a stronger country for the people. Learn more at ey.com govmod. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Government Modernization Unleashed Workforce, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Erica Ford, a principal for the People Advisory Services at EY. Erica, before break, we're talking about this idea of how the, the workplace, the workforce has changed. You brought up this idea of recruitment and, and retention and how it has to be a little different. There's been a big push over the last month or so. We saw it from the Veterans Affairs Department, U.S. Digital Service, and a bunch of others who are saying, hey, if you're getting laid off in the tech sector, we've, we've seen a lot of layoffs in, in, in some of the big companies, hey, come work for the government. Mm -hmm. uh, is that surprising to you that they're being that aggressive? Or is it something that just it's time? And it, I think it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's easy to say, just, just come, you know, because <laughs> being invited is, is the first step, right? Yeah. You know, and I and I'm glad that they that their organization culture um, allows for that because one of the things with the federal government and we understand why is that sometimes it take it's things can move slow, 
And for other organizations who have struggled with taking advantage of the tech recession, it's really been around internal culture, processes that they feel like they can't like uh, condense, you know, that kind of thing so that they can move fast to take advantage of it. And so I applaud those organizations that I've had. And for the ones that haven't, um, I, I understand because it, it may feel so different and, um, and they may feel they're handicapped by things like compensation and that kind of thing. The culture piece is so important because we'll pick on VA for a second. One, the hiring process takes a long time. Mm-hmm. They're, they're trying to do things about not just VA, but the government's trying to address that. But also the culture piece where someone who's maybe coming from a big company in the Silicon Valley is used to being much more agile, much more flexible. And VA and government generally still mm-hmm. is very has some rigidity to it. Is that a big challenge that the government maybe has to overcome is to help people not only understand that, yes, we're rigid, but we can get stuff done quickly if we do it the right way? Absolutely. I think during the recruiting process, it's about leveling with people. What makes it hard sometimes is there's this intimidation about the compensation, which I mentioned. Um, But also, sometimes it's just not really telling the story of what the day-to-day is like. And so if you can talk to um, a cyber guy who, you know, just left one of those, um, or cyber girl, I should say, who or gal, who just left um, uh, one of those organizations and is looking for a job, really sitting down with them and saying, here is the benefit of mission-focused work. And let me tell you, it's hard. You know, sometimes things can move slower, but we are really committed to, um, to breaking things. We really are committed to, um, you know, um, trying out new things. And we need people like you to help us and challenge us in getting there. And if you're saying that to someone one-to-one, that's pretty compelling. And we can't really complain too much about the money. We know what a somebody who's going to come in as a GS-14 or 15, they'll do okay. They may not make the money they made at Silicon Valley companies, but, but I think a lot of us would say, I would take that paycheck. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's interesting because... Um, there is, uh, I'm a child of civil servants and, um, and I grew up with the hardest working people and that was, that was my role model um, in terms of what civil service means. And so um, when I think about um, you know, the different compensation models that are there, even at the, the ranks that are below um, 14, um, there's a lot of opportunity to touch stuff. There's a yeah. lot of opportunity um, I think sometimes people in commercial, they may think, um, well, once I get a place, I can't move. But a lot of people get opportunities to move around, try different departments and that kind of thing. So there's there. So even with the compensation um, being some differences, one of the things that um, we, I think all of us can think about is around how are the other ways you can reward an employee? What are the other things about being a civil servant is that experience going to give you um, that you're not gonna give any, get anywhere else? And so compensation is one thing, but there's so many other levers to talk about. That's the thing CISA, NSA, places like that really sell for cyber folks. Uh, I hear that time and again. You, we may not be able to pay you what that other cyber company can, but mm-hmm. you're not going to get to play with the, the, the cool stuff and do the cool things that over there either because, mm-hmm. you know, what NSA does with, with you know, protecting the nation from cyber attacks is mm-hmm. no, nobody else does it. want to talk a little bit about this piece of telling the right story and, mm-hmm. and getting, I mentioned in the beginning about, you know, kind of restoring some of that swagger of the civil servant. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we know the stories of, of, 
of being beat down, of being you know kind of shamed in, in some ways that, that civil servants sometimes face, that all problems are their fault when we know really it's not their fault. Absolutely it's, not. It's those uh, people on Capitol Hill has the bigger challenge. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Don't say that. But let's talk about how, how the agencies and recruiting, man, recruiting folks and, and hiring managers can really kind of promote that, hey, what you do is really important. Well, I do think that a lot of organizations are, um, they have incredible missions and they're telling their stories um, in a way that they told their story 15 years ago. Um, So that's one piece. So really um, taking time, like how does my mission really show up? Um, How does this really show up on a day-to-day basis for a constituent? How does being a finance analyst in an organization, what is the tie between what I do and what the mission of the organization is? The other piece um, that folks have to think about when they're telling stories is that the generations are so different. I'm a Gen Xer at 45 years old, um, and I'm telling you, when you are uh, talking about um, mission work with a 25-year-old, you may focus on different parts of your mission and different and tell that story in a compelling way that might be compelling for me, but that 25-year-old may want to hear um, hear it in a different way to understand really what it would be like to live there, so there, to work there. So really factoring in those generational differences and that perspective in, deter- in terms of how you tell your story is also really important. So you really, you're, what you're saying is, and I'll interpret this, if you can tell it on TikTok in 30 seconds or less, that's, that's the goal. You know, I think, but to that point, I do think that there is a way that you can tell mission, you know, talk about your mission and what you do, and it can show up on different platforms sure. um, in a way that could be compelling. And in 30 seconds, I can learn a lot about VA, right? And I think agencies are starting to go down that path. You're seeing them as they're trying to be more diverse and inclusive, trying to reach a broader audience. They are doing things differently. I mean, it's not just saying, oh, we'll go to a, a job fair, but really, uh, I was just speaking with uh, someone from um, uh, the Homeland Security Department around mm-hmm. procurement, and it goes, nobody grows up and says, I'm going to be a contracting officer. <laughs> so you've got to start educating them on what that really means. Absolutely. And I think that that's important. And, and I think part of that discussion is understanding kind of what the pain points are of the hiring process of the recruitment process. Are agencies starting to delve into that pain process and trying to kind of, okay, how can we make it simpler, better, easier, faster? There is so much work going on right now across federal and even state and local government um, as doing assessments and reviews of their HR, uh, HR processes. Um, part of it is to condense time it, throughout recruiting, but also part of it is like, what, what are the things that are holding us back um, and, and what really is needed in order to, to get, this, get, the, get this particular wreck out, that kind of thing. So I, I think it's so cool because I think that is the, thing, the, the piece that's been great about the time that we're in. There's just a lot of ambition that is showing up in lots of different places in terms of um, willingness to rethink things and invest in certain, um, in certain initiatives to, to uh, get the information you need and the, and the evaluations that you need to make the right decisions. Is there, it's hard to say when you talk about 111 different agencies from mm-hmm. 50 states, and then if you kind of keep going down into the counties, I think there's like 18,000 counties or something. Is there any trends that would you point out to say what is really the challenge with the HR processes? Is it not enough people? Is it processes that have been changed in 30 or 40 years? Is it the technology that that underneath it making understanding the data and, and getting the data difficult? Is there anything you'd point to say? Here's a few things that we see time and again. 
It really is um, all of the, the above. It's just most or some organizations, it may be more pronounced in certain areas. Um, one thing that we found is that um, having a true, um, true set of data um, that you can trust has been a challenge across HR systems. And so um, when you're dealing with like old antiquated systems and you're thinking about, um, you know, modernization and that kind of thing, we're starting to see people really consider that because the data piece just holds them back so often. Um, the other piece that we're also seeing um, is a move to see like what processes can be broken. So by that I mean, and I know um, there's complexities in the federal government, um, one of my state and local clients, they actually, uh, we were actually worked with them to um, see how they could make, make day of offers at one of their job fairs. And it took an incredible amount of approvals to get those done. And even, and even that, once we got the approvals, they were for certain critical yeah. jobs. Um, and it was successful, um, but I, but it's, it took so much time. And I, and I understand, you know, why sometimes people shy away from that because it took a lot of time and a lot of conversation to, to get approval for that. The federal government's done that too. They mm -hmm. have offers, maybe not final, best and final offers. Oh yeah, yeah. But they at least to. get that initial, hey, mm -hmm. I like you, you like me, let's get this process going. And uh, I think once you do it once, mm -hmm. I, I hope at least the next time is a little easier, next time is a little easier. I don't know if your state and local client has gotten a second bite at the apple yet, or, or is, do they expect to? Yeah, they, so they actually have institutionalized some of the, uh, the changes that we made, which was great to see. Um, one piece, if it's okay, that I wanna come back to about the recruiting piece is that there is a uh, gap in recruiters in the market right now. And so there's a lot of love that needs to go out to the recruiting community um, to get them back in the door. It's one of the hardest jobs that you can have in any organization, let alone public sector. And there are, um, I mean, I was just talking to someone the other day and 40% of their tech department um, are vacancies. Wow. And so- Just for recruitment. Just for recruitment. Wow. Mm -hmm. So you know, that's the reality of what people are facing. And so I think a new push and some, some deep dives into the recruiter experience would be something that would be helpful. And just to compare it to the federal world, the big challenge is that getting the, the hiring managers to make a decision. The, mm -hmm. the HR folks get you know, 500 applications, whittle it down to the best 10, and then they send it up uh, over, the, over the transom, and then the HR managers are like, okay, I'll look at it, and three months later, they haven't looked at it that, yet. That's the other. That is one of the biggest things that we're also seeing is how, and again, you understand why, but how little sometimes the HR, that the hiring manager and the recruiter are actually talking. And sometimes there's also a real gap um, between an understanding of how this role is actually going to show up. So if you're a recruiter, just like if you're in an airline um, and you're with the stewardesses most of the time when you interact with an airline, uh, you know, interact with your airline, the same thing. Your recruiter is the one when you're interacting with candidates that is spending the most time with that candidate. And so if there's a gap between what the HR uh, manager um, you know, is expecting versus the recruiter, what, do you, what message is being sent to the person that's being recruited? So that's, that's a piece that I think could be tightened up is some, is some ways to work together more frequently, the hiring manager and the recruiter. Erica, there's so much more we could talk about, but unfortunately we are out of time for today. <laughs> so let me thank my guest. 
Erica Ford is the principal with the People Advisory Services at EY. Erica, thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, I appreciate it. It's always um, great to talk about our civil servants. They have so much to offer, and um, I'm just grateful for them, frankly. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Government Modernization Unleashed Workforce, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search EY. Thank you for listening to the discussion Government Modernization Unleashed Workforce, sponsored by EY on Federal News Network.